Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. My name is Fei Yu. I'm the Managing Director Europe at Alcott Global. Today, we have the pleasure to welcome David Chala. I've known David for many years and I've seen his career growth and we always have fun chatting. So David is currently the COO of Bugabo since 2019. He brings along over 20 years of experience from consumer goods and juvenile industries like Lego or Procent Gamble. He has designed and led major strategic supply chain transformations. David is highly curious and passionate, and he loves to resolve complex operational challenges. And that brought him to different countries and continent. So David, great to have you with us. And I heard that you are going to China and it's tomorrow and you're going to my hometown, Shenzhen. So I'm very jealous. Tell us about your trip. Uh, good morning, Faye, and thank you for having me. A really pleasure to be here. And indeed, I'm actually flying tomorrow and it's exciting. And you know that I've spent over five years living in Hong Kong and working mostly in China and, uh, and across Asia. And it feels like, almost like coming back home. It's really exciting. So I'm flying to Hong Kong and then I'm, uh, I'll be traveling into China for quite a number of days and also visiting Shenzhen. So very exciting. I don't know. It's been three years. I left literally last time I've been there was January 2020. Literally a couple of days before China shutting down the borders. That was the last time we also have a big team in China. I really... I'm really excited to be there with and finally meet in person and see your partners, colleagues, suppliers, and also see how China has moved and evolved because I know that the pace of evolution in China has been always been incredible. I'm also very curious what has changed. Yeah, it's a pity that we'll miss each other. I will be in China mid-April in, in Shenzhen. So maybe next time we'll see each other in Shenzhen, I'll invite you for Shenzhen beer. <laughs> <laughs> that, would be, that would be awesome, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, we've known each other for many years, and then you made impressive career growth. Tell us about you. What are your current responsibilities at Bugabo, and how did you make your career from consulting to be where you are today? You were in consulting, or if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I first started my career in uh, consulting. That's more than 20 years ago. It was still the fresh undergrad and grad and finding the first job to work and exciting was it was a really great start. It was something that really taught me about like what does super pleasing the customer means. Quintessentially, you're selling yourself in a consulting, right? So you really need to deliver high discipline, really work ethic, I mean, big workload. But at the same time, you realize that uh, you would also like to build a little bit more of the content, or at least I felt I would like to build more content knowledge. And this is where some of the inflection points are in the, somebody asked me, how did you end up having a career in operations or a supply chain? I'll probably say, I, I just answered the right way, the right question in the right moment. And that question came when I applied for a job in PNG. And then he called me and said, yeah, we have good news and bad news for you. Which one do you want to hear the first? I said, yeah, well, tell me the good news. I said, yeah, we would really be keen on having you in the company. And of course, if you apply for a PNG and most likely you apply for a job in brand and marketing, it's a famous organization where you want to go and build the brands. I say, yeah, you applied for a job in Prague and you applied in a job in brand or marketing. And unfortunately, we don't have that. But 
we have a job in supply chain in Budapest. Would you like it? <laughs> it, was, it was one of the inflection points. I say, okay, what do we answer now? I said, yes, why not? I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah, I can explore. I can move to another country. I can see different things. And that's how the thing start. And, and maybe eventually two years down the road, I might get back in, into the brand or finance or another way. And that's never happened ever since. And actually, I actually realized that operations and supply chain has been a fantastic function role. I mean, incredible breadth of opportunities that you can continuously keep growing, learning new things, at the same time trying new roles while still staying true to your to your function. And I discovered beauty and, and I moved and I was also lucky to probably be, be good at what I was doing. Started in the in the planning area, then I moved into into logistics. Well, rebuild the, the logistics function for the Central Europe, then I uh, moved to a factory. And yeah, over the career then was offered the job with Lego. And uh, it was an incredible 10-year venture with Lego, which brought me into multiple jobs and, and also places. And also with Lego, moved to, to Hong Kong and China, ran the global sourcing function for the third-party manufacturing, basically all the non, all the parts that come in, into the boxes, either electronics, textile, you know, different sort of merchandise and, and different specific molding skills. And yeah, now moved to Bagabu and CEO of Bagabu basically ran the entire operation or my team is responsible for the entire operation from engineering, planning, sourcing, manufacturing, global distribution, quality, but also ESG continuous improvement. So fairly big role in the, in a major team globally dispersed. Yeah. So it's a big job. So I, I think that with these three companies that you work for, plus the consulting. So when you walk in the store, right, in the supermarket, you must be seeing many things that were made in your factory, right? So Absol- Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it is probably also part of that. At least myself subconsciously choose the work with the companies and the brands that I can associate with, that I can really see and touch the product. And it's turned me a lifelong loyal customer of PNG and lifelong loyal customer of Lego. And I can't promote Bugaboo more, but it's also related to that all three of them have been heavily purpose and value, purpose-driven value-based companies that I could really associate. I knew the, the, the power and the force for good that these companies are trying to do to the world. And it was actually really easy to associate yourself with those companies. And, and I know that the products are great. They are almost of the highest quality then they really stand for the trust that the brands represent. And that's what makes it really easy. And of course, creates the proud and the pride of working there, but also being able to bring fantastic products to the consumers and, and be a then lifelong advocate of those products. Yeah. So speaking of Bugabo, uh, Bakabo, right? So I think that I, I always pronounce it as Bugabo. <laughs> so Bakabo, I have... So when I, 14 years ago, my son, right, was just born and was, I was looking for strollers and I still regret that I didn't buy Bugaboo because uh, it was really, it is still the best in the market. And I had to actually buy three different strollers because the ones I bought didn't work out and then it should change. So I saw friends who actually bought Bugaboo. And you just need one and it always functions and you can even resell it. And the, the worth is still there. So very impressive products. That's how I know it from my own personal experience. So my question for you is that what makes Bugaboo 
so unique compared to other strollers on the market? A great question. First and foremost, you refer to it as a stroller. It's the original part. The portfolio is now much broader and it's much bigger. We'll probably have a chance to speak about it. But I would probably always refer to our the values and that what we really put into the product, which is the, the design and quality and function. They're trying to match this to the needs of the consumer. It's the pioneering spirit that brand was ever, since the founding, was actually built about really pioneering spirit, breaking a little bit the boundaries and raising the bar of the quality and function. Bold and iconic style, and of course, sustainable approach. Ever since the products have been designed, they were always meant to be functional. They were always meant to be making the complicated uncomplicated for the parents. But indeed, it's the, it's the quality, it's the sustainability, and the design that really hopefully still stands out, and we continue building on these brand values. Yeah, you were talking about the, the founding, right? Could you tell us a little bit about the history of the company? Yeah, it's it's a fantastic story. And thanks for asking. I mean, of course, Max uh, Barenbrook, somewhere in, in the 90s, graduating from the from the university, came up with the design university, came up with that concept of the design stroller, which in that time, and, and it was unheard of. It was basically just a couple of tubes with four wheels and basically just used for very practical purposes of getting the child for a, for a short time. And he came up and said, hey, that this is a product that can be really upgraded. And he came up with the idea. Unfortunately, nobody wanted to produce it once he left the university. So he actually scrambled all his money and together with his brother-in-law, they set up a company. So we tried to produce it ourselves. And as we say, the rest is the history. And the product was incredibly successful. And also they quickly realized that it's also not a product, but also the service, because obviously the first products weren't particularly good. But what they quickly realized, and it's a story, when, when they were literally jumping in the car and going to those first customers who bought into the product and who were not happy with the first produce, and when they were roaming the customers, they quickly realized that they were actually happy when they received the appropriate service. They were not disappointed that the product wasn't good, but they were extremely happy that somebody reacted quickly and that there was, and then, uh, then the product was quickly corrected and or replaced or, or fixed. And all these principles have been gradually built into the brand and Max with the team, well, since the founding until the year 2018, basically what I would refer was the Bugaboo 1.0, built an incredible company around the strollers, but also different other ventures. They also started, I mean, the, the mission of the company, we might have a chance to speak about it, was actually move freely. And that's also what the company was doing. So it was the strollers, but they also ventured into luggage systems and, and maybe some other products that were not necessarily connected. They, I mean, their connection points were rather about wheels and sort of move freely vision, but they haven't connected really on the consumer side. And that was also part of the opportunity when Bain Capital bought into the company. Bain was one of the biggest private equity funds in the world in 2018. And I would refer to maybe Bugaboo 2.0, if you like. From that moment on, I wanted to build on the strength of the brand and the and the core of the company, which really was the stroller. But I say this is this is a fantastic stroller company with its highest level of quality, detail, design. But we would like to expand it more into the juvenile categories and make it a true global leader in the juvenile categories and and products. So ever since from 2018, then putting together a new management team. And uh, having this first sort of vision of uh, where to move the brand and the company, 
we were continuously expanding in the in the categories and products. And yeah, since 2018, we've been creating yeah a really really strong juvenile leader in not only from the expansion of the product side, but also omni expanding the the channels and omni channels and becoming to digital leader, which was quite pioneering in our industry as well. And also building heavily on that sustainability heritage and that approach that we already had in the DNA of the brand and mm-hmm. also heavily pioneering on the sustainability or overall environmental, social and government side of the business. Mm. Okay, that um, must be a very interesting, exciting period of the time working with Bank Capital. So it's, it's a, a top PE company, right? They're very, very successful. And how have the change upon bank acquisition been received and unfolding? I would lie if I say it was easy. It was that everybody would cheer up. Of course, I mean, that was it's a fairly difficult period. I think we can probably break it into, into the multiple pieces. And on top of it, and you will quick, quickly hear, there was also that element of, of Corona that struck us in a midway through, I mean, the entire change. But starting from the beginning, so first... Obviously, there is a certain investment thesis, right, into the company when you're buying into the brand and how you wanna you wanna expand the business. So there is a certain performance parameters that the company needs to have. Of course, there are people who are fit with the with the vision and with the with the need of the new investment thesis, and then there are there's a part of the organization what either because they don't associate themselves with those changes or because they simply don't possess the skills or the profile that's needed. So there's, there's a part of that that is really tough to really decide who is remaining on the bus or who do you want to put on the bus to drive the business forward. And of course, that was uh, very complicated. It was also very entrepreneurial and, and maybe a good story to share. I truly realized because we, we speak a lot about the, the power of purpose and value, mission of the company. And quite often you come to the, to the organizations like Lego or P&G or, or you name it, a big corporate in the world. And it's sort of granted. It's given. It's there. It's You either associate yourself with it, you, you fit into that culture, into those values, or you don't and uh, you have a choice. I think we were given with the, with the Vagabu to Zero, we were given a bit of the opportunity to define what that mission, what that purpose is. What is it that we're doing in here? I mean, we had that heritage of a brand and fantastic strollers. But at the same time, we also saw that we don't want to continue moving freely. We want to continue building a true juvenile leader in the company. And that required very different prospect. And putting together that vision, that mission, Mm. for what is it that we're doing? Why are we here? What are the values we want to really build the company? This sort of the new upgraded bugaboo on. Aligning it with, of course, having it aligned with the investors because they have to back you forth so you, you work closely, but also finding that energy and, and and selling it, if you like, into the organization and aligning the team and energizing them behind, that's what we're going to do. This is this is why it really makes sense to wake up in the morning and come into the office. Yeah. And we're going to expand. We're going to work on this new exciting portfolio it's going to take a few years and we'll need to somehow find ways. How do we fund it in the meantime? Where is it that, what are the skills? What are the profiles of the people? So this is our aspiration, right? This is this is where we want to play. Mm. This is how we're going to win. I mean, defining that strategy, right? But but also these are the skills. These are the competences that we need to identify on it. I think it was, it was quite a difficult period. Some people didn't really identify themselves, but it was also a major cultural change because right. 
think about it. You had this founder-led organization. Mm. Fantastic. It was this founder who basically could have decided anytime anything, who had who had an extremely strong, powerful product and engineering vision of what he wanted to do in the in the business. And then all of a sudden you have professional management, basically all of us outsiders coming into the company, having an aligned vision with the investors where we would like to to drive the company onwards. And of course, at the same time, you would have, well, you would have a little hiccups. I mean, not not everybody who came into the company stayed, you know, not everybody was a great fit. So you have a little bit of the turmoil at the early months of the transformation. The team has to settle down. It's to really, you need to really first create the teams, right? Mm-hmm. And find how they work with each other. But truly then energizing around this new mission, and mm-hmm. finding like, no, we're not moving freely now. We're now empowering parents and mm-hmm. children to discover the world and enjoy. And mm-hmm. this is how we're going to do it. And this is how what we need from you. And this is how we're going to brand the brand, the product and the people. Retrospectively speaking, incredibly exciting and a major learning. This entire cultural change in the organization from the founder-led to the professional management-led organization with, mm-hmm. with a target, with a certain performance parameters as well with no ability to immediately make decisions as people were used to from the ex-founder. So basically building certain decision-making processes, which of course in a certain stage might have looked like being slow, right? In a way. So very entrepreneurial environment, but incredibly exciting retrospective, very tough period though, and a very difficult. And midway through, all of a sudden you had Corona yeah. and everything sort of shut down. We don't, <laughs> you know, you, you, you've heard those stories. Nobody knew what to do. I mean, managing cash then then you've got this incredible bullwhip effect when we actually realized the consumers buying much more and all of a sudden you can't supply we were all chasing the same containers the same tins around the world fighting literally for the empty boxes to make sure that they are in the right place somewhere in the world that we can ship more goods and scaling up we were actually lucky part of the differentiator you asked me we actually own quite a bit of our own supply chain which is a bit specific so we are on our own factory and we have a very close partnership relationship with our suppliers. We actually really could control the way we could scale up and the long lasting partnerships was something that I would really like to also highlight that it's been an incredible factor in this entire journey because mm-hmm. that they allow us both ways to be really very agile in changing and, uh, and updating and upgrading the, the manufacturing program but also scaling up fast despite despite a lot of limitations that we had on the journey. Amazing. I could hear your passion, right? Excitement in, in through the story. And that's it's great to see that. I also love the story about creating purpose, right? That make people jump out of bed to work. And that sounds very unique. I also heard that Bugaboo is expanding the product line to include more baby products. So your branding is different now, right? It will be beyond strollers. How has your team operations and supply chain adapted to accommodate this growth and share also some challenges you face and how you overcome Mm. that? That's actually a really excellent question. Thank you. So we, we decided we, and essentially want to be a juvenile company, right? A juvenile product. So you have those strollers, you have the brand. But what else as a parent do you need? Referring back to, you probably don't need a luggage system as we used to have in the, in the previous time. But you probably need a car seat. You probably need a, a playpen or a, or a sleeping cot, 
right? You need uh, you need a lot of accessories like a bags. You need a high chair. You may you need a carrier, baby carrier, right? I mean, you need to, you need incredible amount of things. And so of course it was sort of was this natural path in the defining and on what other products we would like to add into the portfolio and whether you like it or while it's not a rocket science, most of those products takes really like a like years to develop. So really careful. This is juvenile products. It's probably on the on the level of compliance and standard control, similar almost to a food industry in the in a certain extent. Mm. So you would have a lot of compliance experience. And each of those products at the it's actually not one supply chain that you manage. I mean, for all for every product, mm. you actually have to create a sort of a product value proposition. Right? How do you? What is it that you want to offer with that product? So not only how that product is designed, what it offers, but how do you source it? How do you manufacture it? Is it? Are you developing capabilities? Are you partnering with a skilled partner? How much of that chain do you wanna do you wanna control? How do you control obviously quality that you that you want to deliver? How the speed to market? What is the margin? What is the margin you want to design the product for? What is the price you then are able or capable to sell the product? So you run actually multiple supply chains, if you like, for every product. And the team had to evolve in a way that we used to manufacture fantastic strollers. Now we said, okay, we want to do maybe maybe a car seat. And we quickly realized that designing and developing our car seats, it's really like many, many years long product and we do the experience. So it's okay. I mean, the, we, we don't have that much time. We don't want to wait for, for that many years. We probably have to partner. We need to co-brand with another famous manufacturer, right? That we, so it's, it's a very different type of relationship that you manage. And for instance, then you decide to do another product that maybe you want to buy into, into a certain pattern if you want to speed up, right? Or you want to, that you really evolve it and then you need to find the suppliers and build some of the capabilities in your factory that you want to bring this product into the market. So the team had to continuously be evolving around the, in the portfolio, the product pipeline and the operations teams overall. I would like to specifically call out two or three things that were very essential to it and it's related to the process. So the first one is, so there are two main processes that actually determine it. It's the idea to market process. That's what we call it. Some, you know, or a product development process, if you like, and the SNOP process and the SIO process. And they have to be very closely interconnected in the same time when anecdotally illustrate on some of the examples how critical it is, because based on the quantities that you identify in the SNOP process that determines, for instance, what capabilities or capacities are you building in your supply chain for those for those individual products for the development. And many of those actually require quite some in the, uh, capital investments either on your own side or in your partner's side that they want to invest and how, how much capacity they're going to build. Do they have the equipment? Do they have the molds? Do they have enough people? So the idea to process very that's what we really had to evolve into quite proud of it in a very strict staged process with a clear gating system and governed by the steering group for each product that basically really sort of governs that product value proposition and aligns the key parameters that we want to build into the supply chain for that product from the beginning. Just to illustrate, I mean, on, on a very example of one of the accessories that we built. And I had, had a great discussion with, with our designers. Hey, David, you should really look into your sourcing team. We're getting a double price now for the product that we already wanted to source. And it's a 100% outsourced product, basically. 
that we're just buying as finished goods through through one of our suppliers. I say, hey, look, it's, the price is now double. That's incredible over two years. I don't think we're doing the right thing in our sourcing team. And then, of course, then you go back and you do say, okay, I mean, that doesn't sound right. What is it that has changed? And then you go to your sourcing team. And it's like, so yeah, two years ago, we did a similar project when the team told us that we're going to sell 20,000 pieces of this product. And of course, we defined the price, the supplier built the lines. David, we've literally ordered like 1,500. Now, fast forward, two years forward, we're asking a very similar product in basically new design and new, new setups. And the team is again projecting that we're going to produce these quantities while the supplier backwards already knows and basically says, I don't trust you anymore in these quantities. And that was the history, Faye. Huh? It's not only how you did, and, and then quickly realize it's not that we need to look into our capabilities into the sourcing team. We need to look into our capabilities in forecasting the new launches and aligning the handshake expectations between the product teams and the operation teams and what is going to be delivered. So in this chain, having the product development process strongly aligned with the with the SNOP process of what are the quantities, because that determines what are the investments in then and some of the some of the projects we want to do. It determines what capacities the suppliers are building. It determines what commitments they make to you. And then of course, retrospective also determines the expectations on the price and the sourcing thing. And so everything is interconnected. And yeah. those two things have to really work together very, very closely. Mm. That's a Fantastic case study, right, for SNOP. <laughs> and also for any company that is actually expanding in, in into different product lines. So I, I also heard that you had a great discussion with the CEO of, of On Shoes, who shared <laughs> similar stories. And it's actually a really, really good story to share so that others can learn. So we also try to speak about on, trying to onshore production from Asia to Europe during the, in the midst of the corona. That's another Really, really great story. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. I do have a, a one more question, right? Around so the the product itself, because some of my friends are mothers, right? New mothers, and they are very curious about Bugabu. So they want to know how do you continue to innovate and stay ahead of competition. And can you can you share some exciting new new product development and initiative and Bugabu is working on any upcoming plan of the future because they're following right the company what, what you're doing so that they can buy. <laughs> I'll tell what I can say and I might not say everything because of course I keep some element of surprise. We continue heavily innovating in the R and D and our investments into innovation and especially product development is really among the top priorities. It's governed by our strategy. It's really governed by the way how we want to evolve and expand. We've basically replaced all the products that we have on the market since acquiring the company and expanding already into four different categories, high chair, car seats, sleep pants, and also baby carriers. And it was through organically or also through the, through the M&A opportunities. And we really continue innovating. So only this year, we bring in quite a number of, of really exciting products. So we've just launched a really, really probably the best ever comfort stroller in the market with the one handfold and the many unique selling propositions for the consumers. I, I would really recommend it. We're preparing a couple of really exciting launches for the rest of the year. So it's going to be a really busy year with 
major innovations hitting the market. And I will keep a little bit the element of surprise mm-hmm. in that. And we continue expanding our new high chair that's been, that already won a multiple design prices, some of the markets. Yeah. And we're very, very proud of that product. It took us really quite a number of years to define what is it that we wanna that we wanna bring. And it is fairly unique. It's a very light, it's very adjustable. It really brings a lot of ergonomic advantages for the kids along their along their growth. So it is an exciting product innovation, and we continue also looking for the opportunities to further further improve towards the consumer insights that we are inquiring. We truly follow a lot of consumer insights and work a lot of the consumers in uh, testing the products. But Faye, what I would, it was the product innovation? It's the that's the obvious one. Yeah. Maybe I would also like to shift a bit because. Innovation is not only about a product. We also innovate on the on the business models. Mm-hmm. And that's an exciting area. And also towards the sustainability and the overall ESG, we've actually brought them or experimenting with the multiple new business models that we've introduced lately. So for instance, one of them is the Bugaboo Flex. Mm-hmm. So sort of moving into like a stroller as a service mm-hmm. instead of just necessarily buying, but maybe allowing the consumers to, to rent into the stroller and see how that would work and what, whether they would be happy or giving them the, the ultimate flexibility. Also, Pretty Perfect is a program that we've introduced exactly. And I, and I like that you mentioned it, that, that part of the value of the Bugaboo is not only that it's a fantastic stroller that, uh, that will make a great product, but it's also that you don't need to throw it away. And hmm. uh, it's a product that is designed to serve for several parenting generations. And I continue seeing a lot of our strollers basically 10, 15 years old, and they're perfectly functioning. They can be, they are designed for servicing, right? Mm -hmm. They are designed to last. And part of it, we also provide now this service that we can professionally refurbish and resell, right? Because we, we know what the values of those products are. We continue innovating on the material and technological side, especially towards the sustainability area. I mean, Many of our strollers have been already launched with the bio-based plastics, for instance, and obviously continue experimenting, innovating on the on the way to, so that we can bring lighter solutions to the market. Mm-hmm. We innovate in the operations area, how to how to create more value through basically controlling the cost, right? And so it's, it's the automation, the factories, experimenting with the 3D printing technologies. We innovate on the process and system area. We obviously innovate in the retail and marketing space, right? How do we bring the the brand to the market? How do you, again, uh, we spoke about it before this, how do you keep that attention, right, in the in the market that is overinflated with the information? So we innovate in, in many areas. It's, uh, the product is obviously the most visible one, but also the business models and, and a lot of things in the background. And that also keeps part of, of keeping the job really exciting. Mm-hmm. And keeping also the people very engaged because mm-hmm. there's a lot of interesting things. I mean, that is happening in the company on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Love that idea, you, because we talked about before. I talked about sustainability, right, and environmental responsibility. And what you mentioned is the innovation and product development. It really incorporated in your value, and it's working together, right? You think about innovation and then sustainability at the same time, right? How about, how do you work with your suppliers and manufacturing partners to ensure around this topic, right, of sustainability and environmental responsibilities? It first starts with ourselves to really that determination that that's the way we want to do business. And it's quite a bit of leap of faith. 
mm. if you like. The learnings we have so far is, is the consumer demand. So the consumers want it. The employees love it. So it's incredible engagement factor in the company, especially with all the new younger generations coming maybe in the company. We've got a lot of young people and they they absolutely, it's one of the factors to say, we totally love it. I mean, the guys you speak about it, that it's embedded into your brand and DNA of the company and into the product and so on. But it's also continues to be expensive. And of course, it's a long journey. So that starts with that determination. It start, it's firmly embedded in our strategy. It's got absolute endorsement through our CEO and uh, through the board and uh, the entire management team. So we all want to make it. But we also need to find the right phasing and timing. To illustrate, we uh, have validated the SBTI targets already. We are certified in, in any almost conceivable way through the chain, also working towards possibly the B Corp certifications and so on. So it is a firm commitment of the company that that's the direction we want to do. And, and you know that if you want to do a B Corp, it, it has to be embedded in your mission of the company. Right. It, has to, it has to be stated. It has to be signed by the CEO. It's not, there's no way back out of that. Hmm. And then, obviously, we, what we follow is the work of the suppliers and how do we partner. So that's how we want to run the business. And that's what we're going to do. And there's commitment on the CO2 reduction, right? And the, there is a commitment on how do we, how are we going to do it? What can we do on the material side? I mean, what can we do on the transportation side, right? So, of course, the scope one and two, relatively easy, as everybody will say, scope three, very difficult, very complex. We've partnered with a number of organizations that, for instance, are helping us to either develop or actually possess some of the materials that could be used. And now we obviously using them in the testing. So I already mentioned the bio-based plastic. They are being implemented gradually into our production. They are already part of, the, of, of some of the products that we're bringing into the market. That's a great example because if you don't want to brainwash, you also want to have that chain somehow accredited and tested. We're using ISCC certifications, for instance. It's a chain of custody, basically, that proves that from that very bio-based material, that material actually turns out into the final product and that the, the consumers can be really sure that we've done, that we really controlled that chain of this material up until that product. And, and they can be clear that they're making good yeah. to the world by, by buying a certain product. So it starts with the commitment and then it basically slowly and gradually gets cascaded into the, into the smaller pieces and organization. We partner with a good shipping organization basically offsets for the for the bio-based fuels, right? For some of the, mm. you name it, every other initiative that serves uh, to the reduction and make sure that we deliver on our commitments that have been now validated. Mm. Fantastic story. I like that because facing sustainability topic, right? Many companies are talking it and you're not only walking the talk, but also make it that your DNA and value, right? Become really part of the company. That's a great story to tell. Totally. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. And how is the supply chain function that which you're leading perceived within Bugaboo? By the positioning I sit on the, on the management board of the company from the very day one. Whenever <laughs> you look, what... I, yeah. Essential, what, what is the company? Yeah. It's, it's the brand, it's the product, it's the people. Mm. Huh? And I think there's nothing. So through the product, we impact the brand. So we involved in sort of every facet of that, of that process. And we have to 
align and contribute. I spoke about a product value proposition, mm -hmm. but equally you have a supply chain value proposition and, and you have a customer value proposition. And if every of those propositions, you have an ultimate part of the operation. We used to say we are all in sales. Now we sometimes jokes with my with my sales colleagues that we now are all in operations and it's, and Corona has really exacerbated this feeling mm -hmm. that we actually all in operations right now mm -hmm. and that many of my sales colleagues say oh I I know now more about your warehouses and that the way we deliver goods in the in the markets you know and, and we do have it so I think we fairly firmly embedded in the very very strategic decision making we run everything from engineering up until the, the the final mile delivery, right? And servicing our customers around the world. Run the, the ESG program has been very important on, especially on the material side, on the reduction of the CO2 emissions. Whatever you look, I mean, also from the value creation, right? Mm -hmm. Take the financial perspective of the value creation, top line, bottom line, cash, the standard one, the value creation. So it's, how do you how do you increase top line? I mean, we speak about quality, we speak about service, we speak about the omni-channel deliveries, right? It's a, Everything is about how do we set up the right operation. Mm -hmm. Then you speak about bottom line. Okay, how do we continue protecting our gross margin and creating the profit so that we can invest more money into sustainability and product development? Mm -hmm. Control cash. It's the inventory. It's the, it's the payment terms. It's the capex investment. So everything sort of somehow touches. But then you have the non or less tangible parts of the value creation, for instance, which is about the, the product NPS. Right? Do, the, do the customers, consumers really love the product? How is the employee satisfaction? And guess where the most of the employees sit in, in the organization? It's, it's in the operations. So how do we continue engaging the employees? So when you talk about value proposition, what is the employee value proposition? How do we continue keeping them energized and have fun and be happy and satisfied you know, in the, in the company? CO2 reduction we spoke about. Product pipeline, how do we continue innovating and and defining those supply chains and having the capability to deliver the right products. M&A capability with buying the company. It's quite often the synergies actually lie a lot in the, in the operational synergies that you deliver with buying a company. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the role we play within Bugaboo and, and yeah. uh, continue playing. Yeah, sounds big, right? You have a big job ahead, also ahead of you. But you can't do it alone, right? <laughs> I, I want to ask, what are the challenges on the people's side? What are the key qualities and skills that you're looking for? Putting the right people on the bus. And mm -hmm. when I mean through it, sometimes I actually prefer to look for the right person and mm -hmm. then uh, trying to say, well, how do I use this person? And it's, it's what I've learned is a really big fit with the culture of the company. I mean, every company has a bit of a specific culture. The and uh, defining what it is and aligning what it is. Actually, mm -hmm. we have a very strong brand and product. We actually offer quite an entrepreneurial environment to the employees. So it's uh, with a lot of empowerment, a lot of room, but that requires obviously an energy. I mean, everybody, when you refer to entrepreneur, what it means is you have a freedom, but you mm -hmm. also have a responsibility and you need to sort of show a little bit, you know, that be, be the owner of your own agenda in, in a certain way. And we also offer quite a flexibility, right? Mm -hmm. And then the freedom of flexibility also comes with responsibility mm -hmm. to really be, you know, the owner. So, so finding that match with that culture mm -hmm. and with the, with the offering, with the value that we can offer, it's quite important. Quite often you meet a very smart people mm -hmm. or people skilled in the certain areas, mm -hmm. but they are not really necessarily a match with that environment. I think the, the Patrick Lencioni, the famous one, they always probably 
defined the ideal team player and said somebody who's humble, hungry, and smart. I've seen, now I don't know who said it, I think it was Warren Buffett, says when I, when I look into people, I look for intelligence, energy, and integrity. And the first two will kill you if the integrity is not there. And that's, of course, the part that is very difficult to, to validate, right, during any interview process and so on. So I try to look for the people on the skill will. And we all want the, the people on the skill will matrix, the ones on the high skill, high will. But finding the right, the right people into the organization, they are not necessarily always the best people, you know, mm-hmm. for, that, for the job and, and into the role. Sometimes you do a mistake in that way, and you need to be ready to correct it, especially in the fast-paced environment. A lot of things keep changing. Not everybody loves that every time. But those people who, who came and who discovered the beauty of the fast-paced environment, a little bit of entrepreneur taking responsibilities, finding that room, grabbing a topic, any doers, I need people with high energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who can really grab topics, sort of run, some, sometimes be a little bit of a bulldog mm-hmm. style. Right, uh, in a way, like pushing topics forward. What my friend is saying, if, even the fault is a move forward. It's mm. important to, you know, like sometimes you hear no, it's fine. Mm-hmm. And that's not at the end of the world. Sometimes we have to drop the topic and sometimes we need to make tough choices. But looking for the doers, looking for people who can lead the leadership, who can fit with the culture, these are the very important elements that we're trying yeah. to bring here. Thank you for sharing. It's really now down to attitude, right? And uh, also the mindset, the soft skills become really important in today's supply chain world. Thank you for sharing your insight, David. I know that you must be really really busy because tomorrow we have a big day. (laughs) 12 hours of flight to China and hope you enjoy your journey and enjoy the food, enjoy the old friendship in China. I envy you. <laughs> All of you are going to China in April. Thanks for your time, David. Thank you very much, Faye. It was a pleasure to be here. Yeah, great meeting you again. And thanks for sharing your insight. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to go to alcartglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also, subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest update first. If you're listening to a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, we would appreciate the kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note. And if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business, of course, contact us as well to find out how we can help. Thank you very much.